Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Please be seated. Those of you who are our guests, we want you to know you are honored. If you would, pass that attendance card to the inside aisle, and these young men will pick it up at this time. As I've already mentioned, you're here for a blessing. You will be blessed by the message that Clark Sims will share. I truly believe that. He loves the Lord, he loves the Lord's church, and he loves you. And today we have that opportunity to study with Clark. Clark, we give it to you. I want to begin this morning... Uh, with a special request, I've got a dear brother in Christ. His name is Danny Mills. He's one of members at North Tuscaloosa, where I'm from. and uh, He has been in a hospital now for over 100 days, and his wife Heather has tirelessly remained by his side, and he is showing signs of improvement. Uh, uh, he remains on an ECMO machine, and I just, I just want to ask you in your prayers if you'll hold up the name of Danny Mills and Heather and their family. I would appreciate that very much. I remind you this morning of God's simple plan of salvation, to hear the Word of God, to believe what you've heard, to repent of your sins, to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is who He said He was, and be baptized for the forgiveness, the remission of your sins. Become a member of the church that Jesus purchased with His blood. And I remind you of the charge that we live under to be faithful unto death and so receive the promised crown of life. It's been a great blessing for me to be with you this weekend. I've been so encouraged and, and so uplifted by being in your presence and I, I absolutely hope that... It, you have received a portion of the blessing that I have by being here at Hot Springs and, and being with this wonderful congregation. Billy is an old friend, and I appreciate him and the great work that that family is involved in here. And I'm just so thankful for the tie that binds us together uh, as Christian people, even those that live close to seven hours away from each other. By the way, appreciate a little word of prayer as I embark on that seven-hour drive uh, this afternoon, but I am thankful for the opportunity to be in your presence. I bring you greetings from the North Tuscaloosa Church of Christ. Tuscaloosa, the home of the Crimson Tide. I shouldn't say Crimson Tide. That, that hurt y'all's feelings or anything for me to say that? Uh, but it's, it's so good for us to be here in the tie that binds us, us together. This, this morning, my topic of assignment is... Our duty of holiness toward a broken people. In Bible class this morning, 
we addressed a similar topic, but our emphasis then was our duty of holiness directed toward God. This, at this, in this service, we're talking about our duty of holiness directed toward a broken people. And I emphasize, like I did earlier, that the key word here is the word toward. It is directional. And it speaks of your focus. And it speaks of your attention. A number of years ago, I was asked to be a part of a youth program called SOAR that takes place every year in Augusta, Georgia at the great central congregation there. And, uh, and I, I agreed to go and to be a part of this program. I'd, I'd never been there. I, I knew somebody from there, but I'd never been there myself. And so when I was given this invitation, I, I, I accepted it. And me and my wife and my daughter began the, the journey toward Augusta, Georgia, for me to be a part of this youth program. And to be honest with you, uh, part of my anticipation of this trip was that I was just hoping, if at all possible, while I was in Augusta, Georgia, that I might be able to see the Augusta National Golf Club where they play the Masters Golf Tournament every year. And it's just, I've watched it and on television and just a beautiful piece of property and just one of the great sporting events that our country has uh, on a yearly basis. It's, a, it's the world stage for professional golf. And, and I was just hoping that while I was there, I'd be able to see it. So me and my daughter and my wife make our trip and we get up there. And, and the youth program begins on Friday night. So I'm a part of that and... After the service was over, we head on back to the hotel. And before we get to the hotel, we go by the CVS drugstore because I wanted to pick up some snacks. I know that stuns you, but I wanted to get some snacks. So we pick them up and we go back to the hotel, have a nice night there in Augusta, and uh, get up the next morning, go over to the church building, and I'm a part of this program again and everything that went along with that. And then after lunch, they basically had free time. And so when they had free time, just thought that'd be a great time for us, me, my wife, and daughter, to hit the road to go see the Augusta National Golf Club, where they play the Masters. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with that area, but they don't make it easy to find the Augusta National Golf Club. It's like it's a big secret, you know? You're not going to see billboards and signs saying, turn here to go to the Augusta National Golf Club. They make it very hard. It's like they don't want you to find it. But we kept looking and we kept driving and driving and driving, trying to find it, thinking just maybe we would end up finding it. We just kept driving and driving and driving and the next thing I know we're in the state of South Carolina so I knew we'd done something wrong 
So we turned around, went back to the state of Georgia. We keep looking again, and then ultimately, my sweet wife agreed to go into the Chamber of Commerce and see if we could find some directions, which might have been a good idea before we went to South Carolina. But anyway, she goes into and she gets this information, and we keep looking and looking and looking and driving and driving. And then somehow, we look down this road, and I'm telling you, it's like, you know, you're looking in a normal-looking neighborhood, you know? Kind of neighborhood where I'd live, you know, just normal houses and everything. And, but then you kind of see cracks in maybe just a building or, 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 the, or the bright green grass or whatever, you know, and just you see, so we drove off into that neighborhood and, and there we found it in the midst of normal, kind of hidden, is the Augusta National Golf Club. We were there. We were excited. I, I was. I guess they were just relieved. But we, I was just really glad to see it, to experience it, to see this beautiful place and everything it had to go with it. And so I had a sense of happiness and contentment and everything that went along with that as we began to drive away. And when we started to drive away, we pulled up to a red light. And when we pulled to that red light, right there at the Augusta National Golf Club, I looked across the street. And when I looked across the street, I saw a CVS drugstore. And it was the very CVS drugstore where we were the night before. And the lesson, open your eyes. Open your eyes. If you, if you walk away from this message with anything, I would love that to be it. Open your eyes. In many ways, we show who we are by our conduct directed toward a broken people. And, and, and before I get into some of the things we'll be discussing this morning, I wanted to just kind of share a little bonus something with you. It's a scripture that has really come to mean a lot to me. In Matthew chapter 4, You know, the Bible tells us about Jesus beginning His earthly ministry. And there in those early stages, the Bible tells us about Jesus going into a wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. He fasts for 40 days and nights. And the enemy comes at Him hard. Because the enemy knows if I get him, I've got them. See, you read this account very closely with your eyes and, 
And one of the things that you'll discover very quickly is our soul's destiny was hanging in a balance through these moments. And the enemy comes at him hard with very real temptations. And by the way, I won't go into it with a lot of detail because I, I realize you already know this. But to be tempted means I could have done it. It appeals to me. And he comes at him hard and every time Jesus answers, it is written and thankfully for my future, he resisted every time. But then there's this passage that's like an afterthought almost. If you're not careful, you won't even notice it hardly. But then it says, when the enemy left him, angels came and ministered to Jesus. Jesus needed ministry. Jesus needed support. Jesus had gone through it. I, I don't know. I, I wonder. But I figure this might have been it. Which, which temptation did Jesus face that pushed him the most? He's gone through it. And angels have come to minister to him. I guess that's a... I guess that's just a little lesson for us. Everybody has times of some level of brokenness where they need somebody. And we don't need to make assumptions about people. We don't need to think, well, they got it all together. They, they don't go through stuff. They don't deal with things. I'm telling you, if Jesus needed ministering to, who among us doesn't? He was paralyzed, which made him dependent. Unable to do things for himself. But there were four men in Mark chapter 2 that valued this paralyzed man on such a level that they came and got him in order to take him to the place where Jesus was in hopes that Jesus would be able to help him. Now Jesus is in the house, and he's teaching. And as you would expect, the house is full. Nobody could get in. And so these men carrying this paralyzed man... In a different culture than ours, there's no wheels on it. They're carrying him. 
and they get to this door where Jesus is inside the house and they can't get in. It's too crowded. And so the four men, while carrying the paralyzed man, breathed a sigh and took him home. And then the four men went to their houses and laid their head on the pillow and slept good. Of course, you know that's ridiculous. That's not what happened. But you know, if that is what happened, I'd say those guys still did a good thing. They made a big effort that took a lot of sacrifice to help somebody who couldn't help himself. And it just didn't work out. And it would have been very easy for them to go home and to feel disappointed but to feel okay. Because at least they could have told themselves, well, I tried. Could have felt okay about themselves. And the guy's still paralyzed. But that's not what these four did. I don't know who saw it first. But somebody saw a way they could get him up there on the roof. And I don't know what the reaction was from everybody in the group when somebody said, Hey, reckon we can get him on the roof? But in unison, four men carried that paralyzed man up on the roof. And I guess we have to assume that if any one of those four buckles, the paralyzed man goes to the ground. And who knows what happens then. He is totally dependent on the four. And they've carried him up on a roof. They remove portions of the roof and then lower him down to the floor to the place where Jesus was. Can you imagine how hard that would have been? And I can just picture four men on that roof kind of looking down and the eyes of Jesus going up. Because the Bible then goes on to say when Jesus saw their faith. And it's at that exact moment that the four men fade. They are no longer a part of this story. They're done. They've got into the feet of Jesus. Now they're done. And Jesus does the rest. 
that guy ends up walking out of that house carrying the mat on which he laid. The four men didn't do it. But church, it doesn't happen without the four men. A willingness to go as far as they could and beyond for a broken people. I don't I don't know how to describe this medically. I just know the Bible describes it in Luke 10 that he was half dead. He'd been beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road. A man with a level of vibrancy has now been rendered half dead, unable to care for himself. How about this? Broken. Broken. It was a sense of good news. Perhaps through the glint of a swollen eye that coming his way was a couple of men on their own, a Levite and a priest, guys in the business, guys that promoted optimism. And yet the Bible gives one statement to describe. They saw him and passed by on the other side. And then along came a Samaritan who saw him and had compassion. Here's another directional term. And went to him. And the rest was history. A Samaritan man assisting what quite likely was a Jewish man. He sacrificed his finances. He put him on his beast. He willingly endured difficulty for the good of the half dead. For the good of the broken. And Jesus posed the question. Who was a neighbor? One who had compassion. The one who sacrificed. The one who went to a broken people. By the way, I think this is a big deal. It, it very well could be in the Bible you're looking at right now that somewhere above that context, the Bible says something about the good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is a very familiar term. As a matter of fact, the truth is, good Samaritan is a term of familiarity to a society that's not even totally related to religious matters. 
people know what you're thinking about basically in concept when they hear the term Good Samaritan. And I don't know where it came from, where it started. I don't know who the first person was that made this statement, the Good Samaritan. But I know one thing. It was not Jesus. You won't find the word good describing the Samaritan a single time in Luke chapter 10. Why is that a big deal? Because in our eyes, he was heroic. But in the eyes of Jesus, he was a guy doing what he was supposed to do. That should not be elevated among any of us. The standard that we view in that Samaritan should be our standard. He saw him, he had compassion, and he went to a broken people. Now don't kid yourself. We could play all around this and come up with terminology that fits kind of how we want it to sound. But the simple truth is she was caught in the act. No mystery. She was guilty as can be. Sometimes the broken did it. <laughs> Sometimes they're as guilty as they can be. She was caught in the act. And some really religious guys brought her to a place of prominence where Jesus was teaching and cast her in the midst. Here's what I wonder. What did she look like? What was she wearing? How about this? What was she not wearing? Caught, cast. And it seems pretty interesting to me that this group of religious guys seem to have no regard for her. She was just a means to an end. Their intention was singular to put Jesus in a place of compromise where they'd be able to accuse Him. Her value was minimal at best. It's no wonder Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground as if He didn't hear them. You remember my Matthew 4 speculation? Could it have been this was when He was pushed the most? You could probably make an argument for John 8. 
a soul that was so valuable that Jesus came for her is absolutely treated with disdain by people that should have known better. He stooped and wrote on the ground as if he didn't hear them. What did he write? Frankly, I think if we need to know what he wrote, we'd know it. The significance to me is not in what he wrote, but the fact that he stooped and paused and thought and wrote and then spoke. Some of us could learn from that. He stood and addressed the crowd and said, The one who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And then he stooped back down and didn't pay attention as that crowd began to dissolve. Gone. Jesus stood and posed a where, where are your accusers? No man, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. By the way, the one fella in the room that could have picked up a stone and thrown it was the one who said, go your way and sin no more. See, she was caught in the act. No question about her guilt. And Jesus didn't gloss over that. He spoke to her guilt. He spoke to her sin. He spoke to the challenge that was hers to not do that anymore. But make no mistake. He gave life to the broken. When death was the cry of many. For our purposes today, I think it's a good thing that we don't know what happened to her. That allows us to put ourselves in her place and wonder. Because the truth is, on a variety of levels, we've all known brokenness due to our guilt. Caught. And we're still dependent on that life giver that says, go your way. She was shocked. It was a simple statement made by a tired man. Give me a drink. In John 4, he said to this Samaritan woman, just give me a drink. And as she was at the well with her water pot, her response to Jesus was this. Now try to fit this in your head. How is it that you, 
being a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan woman. Now here's where I speculate there. I can at least wonder. Does her words not make you think? In all the times that she's been at that well, no Jewish man had ever spoken to her before. She was shocked. How are you doing this? She was the double whammy. A woman at the well and a Samaritan at that. And Jesus gave her value with the simple statement, Give me a drink. He said nothing more than any of us could say. But it started a conversation. It started a conversation on such a level that the Bible says she leaves the water pot behind and goes into her village to ask about this man she just met who had said, I am the Messiah. And with those words, she goes in, words like that, leaves the water pot behind the very reason she was there. You see, by the time you get to the conclusion of John chapter 4, many people are described as believers that would not have been believers if he had not spoken to the woman at the well, give me a drink. But here's the story, then I'll close. While Jesus was talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, in the meantime, the disciples, people like us, representative of us, had gone into the village to get food and they were coming back. They were a distance from Jesus so that they could see Him but have their own conversation. And it was at that point that the disciples wondered about Jesus speaking to this woman. Translation, from the disciples, people like us. I'd have never spoken to her. I'd have never spoken to her. Many people become believers and it never happens if it was up to people like us. No wonder Jesus said to them, open your eyes. Look on the fields, they're white, all ready for harvest. Open your eyes for the broken. It was shortly after World War II came to a close that Europe began picking up the pieces. One of the saddest sights of all was that of the orphaned children who were going about in the midst of these war-torn cities. Early one chilly morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London when he noticed a little boy with his nose pressed to the window of a pastry shop. And inside the pastry shop, the, the, the chef was kneading a 
fresh batch of donuts. The little boy with his nose pressed against the window watched as the cook prepared those donuts and watched as he pulled pans out of the oven with the steam rising off the donuts, piping hot. And then the little fellow's face changed at that recognition, I could not have those. The soldier had parked his jeep and walked over behind where the little boy was standing and, and saw all of this reaction. So it was somewhere around this point that the American soldier walked around the little boy into the donut shop and said, give me a dozen. The cook put the donuts in the bag and gave them to the soldier who paid for them and then walked outside with the bag in his hand and reached out to the little boy and just said, here you are. As the little boy took him, the soldier turned and walked away to head back toward his jeep. But as he walked, he felt a tug on his coat. And so he turned and the eyes of the soldier met the eyes of the little boy with donuts in his hand who said, Mister, are you God? You see, we are never more like God than when we give. God bless you this morning. God bless you in your efforts toward the broken. As together we stand and sing.